This morning, we're going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we've been journeying through Paul's epistle to the Paul's first episode of the Corinthians, we are in chapter 11. We're going to go through this chapter quickly and then we're going to partake of the Lord's table together. And when we do that, when we partake of the Lord's table, I want you to really expect God to, to do wonderful things in your life. Let, it, let this message through chapter 11 uh, bring you and me to a place of expectation. Uh, a place also of understanding about the Lord's table so that when we do partake in the Lord's table at the end of the service, you're ready to receive a miracle. You're ready to receive a touch. So that's why intentionally we just pushed it off uh, to, uh, to the later, uh, latter part of the service. Uh, just to quickly review, Paul uh, has addressed in chapters 8, 9, and 10, uh, he's addressed certain issues in the Corinthian church. Uh, he's talked to them about uh, especially what to do with food offered to idols. That was a very touchy situation. What do you do? How do you handle that? Uh, so he's, he's, he's taken them through that journey. And he's concluded, and I just want to highlight, uh, both in chapter 9, while he's doing this, and again in chapter 10, I just want to highlight two things. Paul reiterates and states it twice, both in chapter 9 and chapter 10. He says, in chapter 9 he says, I become all things to all people, so that I might by all means save some. You know, so that is, I, I, I go into people's world so that I can reach them for Jesus. At the end of chapter 10, again, Paul says, you know, after he's, he's given all his instructions, he says, you know, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, ultimately do it to the glory of God. And then he gives his posture, his position. He says, I offend, I give no offense to anyone. I don't, I don't want to offend people. That's not my intent. He says, I give no offense to anyone. And he says, but I please all men in all things that I might by some means, I might by some means save, or by, or, that I might by all means save some. In other words, I want to walk in good relationship with people so that I can win at least some people to the law. So he concludes that in chapter 10, and end of chapter 10. And so now we begin with chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, imitate me, even as I imitate Christ. So he says, look guys, and I've told you all this, but here's how I'm living. I'm living in such a way that I can touch life, people's lives and bring them to Christ. And he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So live like that. Live, follow my example is what Paul is saying. And I think uh, this is a very powerful statement for, uh, especially for those of us who are in, in Christian leadership. Now many of us sitting here are in, in one way or another uh, involved in some form of leadership. You're leading in the church. You may be leading some of the teams here. Uh, you may be in a leadership position outside uh, and people are looking up to you. Uh, this is something that you and I should embrace and, and, and set as a standard for ourselves. As a leader, here's how I should live. I should be able to tell people, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And many times, uh, leaders, we take the approach, hey, just do what I say. <laughs> do it because I tell you to do it, etc., etc. Uh, you know, yes, of course, there is a place of authority and responsibility uh, and giving instructions. All of that is there. But more importantly, something that you and I should hold really strong in our lives is, look, I want to live the life so that when people see me, they are influenced by the life I live, wanting to follow my example. They want, they want to follow. You know, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. That's important. And there's a standard for us as people in leadership that let our lives influence others. And, and our goal is follow Christ. Verse 2, he says, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So he's commending them. He says, brethren, I'm praising you uh, because you're following some of the traditions uh, that he has brought to them. Uh, he doesn't state what traditions he's, he's transferred to them. Uh, it's very likely he's talked to them about water baptism and the Lord's table. And they are following that because later on in this chapter, he's going to address the whole matter of the Lord's table. 
and uh, he's going to set a few things right. Now, in this chapter, Paul is touching on two issues, two matters. One is about headship and uh, head covering. And the other one is on the Lord's table. He's addressing two matters. Uh, before we kind of delve into those verses, especially the issue on head covering, I just want to set the stage. And here is the premise. Here is something we must understand when we are, when we are reading scripture. That a revelation of our truth that is repeated in scripture. In several places in the New Testament or in the entirety of scripture. Then that is something that is intended for us as the church that is transferable and applicable for you and me today. But something that is mentioned in isolation in scripture means that, typically means that it was meant for a people in their context at that time. And it is not necessarily transferable. It is not necessarily something that the church must be practicing today. Are you able to distinguish the two? For instance, this whole thing about head covering. The whole thing about head covering, if you go to the table there, you'll find that there is this whole, this whole aspect of spiritual headship and head covering. The aspect of spiritual headship is referred to in several places in Scripture, not just here in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, in the sermon notes that's uh, up, uh, available on, on the website, you'll find several references. It's not on the, on, on the PowerPoint slide, just for the lack of space. But you'll find that it's also mentioned in Ephesians, in Colossians, in 1 Timothy, in Titus, and 1 Peter about spiritual headship. I mean, it's, it's all repeated several times, which means it's for the church. It's not just, you know, uh, he's not mentioned this only uh, in 1 Corinthians. Whereas this whole issue of head covering, the only place in the New Testament is right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So the premise is because he's mentioned it only here, it is therefore something that is specific to the Corinthians in their culture and in their context. Otherwise, he would have told the people at Ephesus, the people at Philippi, the people at Colossae, Everyone else, guys, when you meet together, women, all of you must have your heads covered. But this is only here, very specific to the Corinthian church. The same thing about the Lord's table and improper behavior when partic participating in the Lord's table. The, uh, the truths, the revelation concerning the Lord's table is repeated many times in Scripture, starting with uh, the Lord Jesus instituting it in Matthew 26, um, uh, the early church practicing it in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul referencing it uh, from the Passover. It's repeated in several places. But whereas the issue of improper behavior when partaking in the Lord's table, that's only in one place. It's the Corinthians who had the problem. And he had to address them and teach them how to partake in the Lord's table in a proper manner. So are you with me in drawing this distinction? Right? So therefore... What is revelation, what is truth for the church is applicable to you and me today. As opposed to something that was very cultural, very contextual, very specific to a particular group of people. Which is in this case the Corinthians. And I will mention in passing about another aspect which we will come to a little later. Which had to do with women praying, prophesying and preaching. You will find in many places in the New Testament. And you can also add the Old Testament references that you'll find in the Bible that women can pray. Women can prophesy. Women can proclaim the word of God. Many references to that. But whereas only in Corinth and once in Ephesians, Paul mentions women be silent in the church. And it was very specific on why they needed to be silent. So one, and writing to, Ephesians, to the Corinthians and the Ephesians, he had a, to deal with an issue, with particular situations why the women were not allowed to speak in the church. 
Whereas to the same Corinthians, he writes, as we see in chapter 11, he says, Women, if you have your head covered, you can pray, you can prophesy. Are you again seeing the distinction? Some of you are, the others, okay, we'll catch up on that. So let's read chapter 11, verses 3 to 16, where he's dealing with the issue of headship and spiritual uh, and head covering. Verse 3 onwards. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with a head uncovered, dishonors a head. For that is one and the same as if a head was shaped. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with the head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of now, this passage is, has created lots of problems. <laughs> you know, people fight over this and uh, churches are divided on this whole thing. Should women cover their head or not? You know, and I can remember once I was in Nasik Pastors Conference. Uh, we had a little extra time, so I just opened it up for questions, answers. And of all things, one pastor had to pull this up. Should women cover their head or not? <laughs> you know? And I know a question like this in a pastor's meeting when you have pastors from different de denominations and backgrounds, it's, it's like you're, you're throwing fire into this, you know. It's going to, you know, it's going to cause problems. And so I had to politely say, you know, I will share my, my position on this. Uh, you're free to hold on to what you, you want because he came from a tradition that insisted Women had to cover their head, you know, and there was no one who was going to change his opinion on that. But anyway, I just want us to, you know, think through on this. I want us to understand what Paul is writing and, and keep this premise that we introduced a little earlier in mind. Uh, uh, the revelation of truth that is applicable to the church across time versus something that is very contextual, something that is very specific to a local group of people that a problem that he's addressing there. Now look at verse 3 as we talk about spiritual headship. Now in this passage, he's dealing with two things. He's dealing with the, with the truths of spiritual headship or spiritual authority. At the same time, he's applying that in the context of a problem they have, which is that of head covering. All right. So there is a spiritual truth concerning spiritual headship, which we must all embrace and understand. But there is also this contextual thing about should women cover their head or not. And, and, and both are addressed in the same passage. Verse 3, Paul says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So he's revealing to us God's government. There's a headship. Uh, there is a... a, 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 a uh, a divinely appointed authority structure, if you will. And it goes like this. The head of the woman is the man. The head of man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. Now, to understand that, let's say this. That, uh, first of all, let's understand the words, the meaning of the words. Head, or head here is used metaphorically to refer to authority, to refer to headship or a place of uh, 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 he uh, headship or government from which, uh, you know, uh, our decisions are made and administered. So it's talking about authority. The word, I want to point out here that the word man and woman can, uh, can mean, in a generic sense, male, female, but also can be used in a very specific sense of husband or wife. The same words. 
The same word could have been translated, the head of the wife is the husband. The head of the husband is Christ. And the head of Christ is God. Could have been translated that way. Okay? Keep that in mind as we understand this. Now, for us to understand headship and, and the context of this authority here, let's begin with the top, which is the gold standard. In what sense is God, the Father, the head of Christ? Because really, in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are co-equal. God the Son is not less than God the Father. The eternal word is co-equal with the Father and with the Spirit. And the eternal word became man, the Son of God, became the Son of God. That means there was willing submission of the eternal word as God the Son to the Father. It was a willing submission in order to redeem man. The point I want to emphasize is willingly submitted or willing submission. Because though he was God and co-equal with God, yet he humbled himself. So there was a willing submission of the eternal word to the Father in order to be the Son of God to redeem us. Are you understanding that? Therefore, the authority, therefore, that, that now should be expressed in the other structures, which is the head of, Christ, head of the man is Christ, or the head of the woman is man, should be expressed in the same way. That means the man willingly submits to Christ. In this case, the believing man or the husband willingly submits to Christ. It's not Christ is going to come and jump on you and bang your head and say, submit. No. It's an invitation. You willingly submit to Christ as your head. The same thing therefore applies to this, this, uh, the other structure, the woman submitting to the man. That the, in this context, it would be the wife willingly submits to the husband or in the local church setting, women willingly submit to the leaders who are in the local church. It's a willing submission. Are you with me? Right? So, in that context, Paul is explaining this. I wanted, I'm not going to go through every verse here. I'm going to highlight a few things. Notice, even in this entire passage, Paul, even though says the man is ahead of the woman, he does say, point out, that we are co-equal. Because he says, the man came out of the woman, and so we are interdependent. And that is also what the rest of the scriptures say. For instance, the Bible says in Galatians 3.28, in Christ there is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. The Bible says, 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, it says that we are both the husband and the wife. We are co-heirs together of the grace of God. That means we are equal joint heirs in, in all the gifts and graces that God gives to us. So as far as spiritual things are concerned, the man and the woman are equal. But in the relationship of husband and wife, or in the relationship of, of, of leadership in the church and so on, the woman willingly submits to the man. Willingly submits. But I also want to point out that outside of these two contexts, you don't take these scriptures and apply it. For example, don't go to your workplace tomorrow and say, Boss, change my team leader. <laughs> it has to be a man. No. In the workplace... Whoever is rightly skilled and best suited gets the job. That's it. Male or female. That's who, yeah. So you don't take the scripture and apply it there. You're misapplying the, intent, the, the intent, intended application of this, of this passage. You also don't go to a 65-year-old lady and say, hey, I'm 25. You have to submit because the head of the woman is... She probably slap you and send you home. You know? <laughs> no, it doesn't work there. Right? There is a context in which this applies. It has to apply in the marriage setting or in uh, leadership within the church government. Uh, where, where, uh, uh, if a man is in authority, okay, uh, I, uh, then the, the women submit to that. Are you with me so far? Right? So with that context, so what Paul's intent really is this. 
God has established an authority structure. He's established headship and this is it. But this has to be expressed in the local church. It's got to be made visible. It's got to be seen that this is God's government. That this is how we function in and under authority. And this has to be expressed in the local church. And has to be expressed in the context of the local church. Here is in Corinth. So what's the background in Corinth? These people, they... uh, uh, the background, again, this is just historical, cultural information. Uh, we know that Corinth was a, a city that, was, that, that had a lot of prostitution in it. And so now you can imagine these, these prostitutes actually typically had their head shaved. And now they are getting saved and they are coming to the church. You also have gentle people or women uh, who typically would cover their head as a symbol that they are merits. And they are under authority. That's part of their cultural expression. So you have all these people coming into church. And here in this context, you want to exemplify spiritual truth, spiritual revelation. And so in that context, he says, women, you cover your head as a sign that you are under authority. A married woman is saying, I who covers her head is saying, I am under the authority of my husband. Other women, uh, you know, let's say a prostitute has been saved and, you know, she's come from that background. Her head is shorn and shaved. But when she covers her head, she's saying, I am under the authority of the spiritual leadership in this place. I'm under the authority of the, of the leader here. I'm also under the authority of Christ. Christ is my covering. So he's saying, so you're, you're taking spiritual truth and you're making it, You're expressing it in the context of the local culture. What people would do there. Are you understanding that? And he also points out in verse 10. He says there's another reason why I want this to be exemplified in the local church. He says because when you do this, there are angels watching you. See that in 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, and he says there in verse 10. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Uh, so uh, what does it mean? Now, people have interpreted many, uh, many different ways. But the best way to do it is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So what does Paul mean by saying angels are watching the local church? Well, read what else he wrote. He wrote in Ephesians 3. Uh, And in verse 10, he says, To the intent that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That means God is wanting to reveal his wisdom expressed through the church so that the angelic beings can see and learn from it. Are you understanding? So that's the the way to interpret verse 10. He's saying, you demonstrate this authority in the context of the local church so that even angels are observing Even angels can see and learn from it. What I want you to watch, be careful. Because sometimes people misinterpret this verse and say, if you don't cover your head, you'll get deceived by angels. That's not what he's trying to say here. Because you have to interpret this verse in the light of what else he's written. It's very clear that in what he's written elsewhere is that through the church, the angels are understanding the wisdom of God. In in this context, they're going to understand about spiritual authority or headship. And he concludes it this way in verse 16. If anyone seems contentious, we have no such custom nor do the churches of God. In other words, if you want to argue about this, fight about this, look, this is not a custom we are practicing in all other churches. Again, it's very clear that this whole issue of head covering is very contextual, very specific to the Corinthian church. Are you with me? So if you ask, do we have to cover our heads, ladies, uh, do we have to cover our heads in APC? Just look around. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to verses 17 to 34. Now, the other matter he's addressing in the church at Corinth has to do with the Lord's Supper. We're going to spend some time on this. And then we're going to get into a really meaningful time of partaking of the Lord's table. But I want you to expect to receive uh, the, the power that's administered to us through partaking in the Lord's table. Let's read these verses first, please. 
verses 17 to 34. Now, when giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Since you come together, not for better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So he's, he's rebuking them or reprimanding them in some way because they're coming together and it is actually making matters worse in their life together as a community. And he's going to address the, 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 the issue there. Verse 20 onwards. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Are you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment and the rest I will set in order when I come. So, apparently from these verses, there was a lot of disorder going on during communion time. And what we can infer from this passage is that, you know, for some reason in keeping the tradition that Paul had delivered to them, Paul had left and gone and slowly that partaking in something so sacred had become more like partaking in a feast. So people were coming together and they're waiting for their opportunity to grab the biggest loaf of bread or, you know, they were getting drunk. It was an unruly time, as you can see here. So he's rebuking them. He said, guys, if you want to eat and drink, do it at home. Right? But when you come together like this, you've got to do this in a worthy manner. This is, this is something that, that, that has great spiritual significance. So while he's addressing the improper behavior of the Corinthians during partake of the Lord's table, he's also revealing to us truths that, uh, that you and I live by today concerning the Lord's table. All right. So, but let's just look at the context, what was happening. So because they were taking or partaking in the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, uh, they were not looking at it, uh, they were not discerning the Lord's body. That means they were not saying, hey, uh, what I'm about to do is, 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 is express my faith in what Jesus did for me on the cross by giving up his body there as a sacrifice. They were not doing it that way. They were doing it more as time to eat and drink. And because they were not discerning the Lord's body, because they were doing it in an unworthy manner, God had to judge them. They were placing themselves in, uh, uh, under God's judgment. Part of that judgment was what was happening. They were losing out on the blessings that should have been theirs through partaking in the Lord's table. They were losing out on that blessing. And so what was happening? Many were weak, sick, dying, pre Maturely. That was what, what was happening. They were weak, becoming weak, sick, and dying prematurely. They were missing out on the blessings of the cross because now they were doing it in an unworthy manner. Uh, they, were, they, they were, you know, putting themselves in a place where God had to judge them, and this was the consequence. Now, this is simple logic. You and I are not doing it in an unworthy manner. Amen. So sometimes 
preachers take this passage and put the fear of God in people. If you don't put the wafer in the right way in your mouth, <laughs> you are drinking condemnation to yourself. You're finished. Relax. Look at the context. Right? They were coming in a way that this was lunchtime. And they had no, you know, mind on the cross of Jesus, on prayer, on, on looking to Jesus. None, none of that. And you and I are not doing that. So don't think that you are somehow going to be, come under condemnation. Pastor, I didn't, I spilt a little bit of the juice. Will I be condemned too? <laughs> come on. So don't let those, those, those silly ideas that hey, if you don't eat it properly or drink it properly, you'll come under condemnation. You'll become weak, sick, and you'll die prematurely. Don't let those things come on you. Because we are doing it, obviously, in a worthy manner. Amen? So what I want us to understand is, what is the real meaning of this when you do it right? We, how should I do it right? Two things he says. One, you discern the Lord's body. That means you understand what this means. Discern is to understand the Lord's body. You're, you're, you're eating something and drinking something that represents what Jesus did for us when he was nailed to the cross. So understand that. Discern. Understand the meaning. And to examine yourself. So you personally are, are, are connecting with God and saying, God, I believe in this and I am uh, doing this because I believe in it. I'm in right relationship with you and I, I'm doing it out of my heart. You examine yourself. It's something between you and God. Right? So if you're doing it that way, you're doing it in a worthy manner. And it now positions you to receive the blessing that is coming to you. Through partaking in the Lord's table. Now, when we partake in the Lord's table, what the Apostle Paul is telling us here is that each time we partake of the Lord's table, we are making a proclamation. We proclaim, he says. We proclaim two things. We proclaim our faith in his completed work on the cross. And we proclaim our faith in his coming again. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So two things. You're proclaiming his death, your faith in his death. And you're proclaiming your faith in his coming again. Are you with me? So we are making a proclamation. You are saying, I believe in what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And you are saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And each time we do this, we are making this proclamation. So let's break it down a little further. We are proclaiming that all our sins were paid for and we are in right standing with God. We are proclaiming that the power of sin was broken and we are free from the dominion of sin. We are proclaiming that Jesus has removed our sicknesses so by his stripes we have been we are proclaiming that Jesus paid the punishment so that we can have shalom, that is complete well-being. You're making a proclamation. We are proclaiming that Jesus removed the curse of the law so that the blessing of Abraham is upon my life. You're proclaiming that the power of Satan was destroyed so that now we have complete mastery over Satan and all his demons. We are proclaiming that we are redeemed, the redeemed of the Lord. We're making that proclamation. Now, just remember this. That one drop of the blood of Jesus destroys everything that Satan can do. Just one drop of the blood of Jesus destroys everything that Satan can do or has done. Amen? So, when we are receiving this cup, and this piece of wafer. It's a little act. It's a simple act of faith. It's a simple act of faith. Your faith. A proclamation of your faith. In what Jesus finished for us on the cross. Which we went through right now. And that he's coming again. That simple act. It's an act of faith. Lord I believe. That's why I'm eating this. Or drinking this cup. And every time. You and I. 
act in faith. God fulfills our work of faith with his power. You and I act our faith. God fulfills our work of faith with his power. Are you with me so far? That's why. When we partake of the communion, we are saying that we are receiving the full benefits of the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's, your, that's symbolic. It's your act of faith. As you eat that bread and drink this cup, you're saying, I'm identifying with what Jesus did for me on the cross. I am receiving it for myself. And when you and I do that, we can expect God, by His power, to respond to our act of now, when we do it that way, then we can receive the blessings of the cross. Amen? But if we do it like the Corinthians, time for lunch. <laughs> or if we do it not knowing the meaning of it, then it's not going to make a difference in our lives. It's just something we did. But if we do it with faith. It's a simple act of faith. You're saying, God, I believe. I really believe in what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'm proclaiming my faith in that by eating this bread and drinking this cup. And we do it by faith. God responds to our faith. Amen? And we've received testimony right here from this church. I remember some time back, somebody, you know, I forget the exact problem, but she said she'd come with some problem in the body. She's sitting, she's when she partook of the communion, she's released her faith to receive healing in her body. I want to encourage us to do that this morning. Amen. We are going to partake of the Lord's table. We are not doing it like the Corinthians did. We discern the Lord's body. We are doing it with reverence. Uh, we are doing it knowing that we are making a proclamation. Uh, we are proclaiming our faith. In his finished work and his second coming, we are proclaiming our faith. But every time you proclaim your faith, every time you act your faith, God is waiting to release his power. So that's why I want you to expect something. I want you to expect that, Lord, what Jesus did for me on the cross, I want to receive it. Now, while I'm eating this bread, drinking this cup, I want to receive it. So if there's a need for healing in your body, do it with, with that expectation. God, I want, uh, whatever that problem in my body, I want it to be healed. If there's a need for deliverance in your life, you're struggling with sin and bondage and you want to be free, say, as you take this, Lord, I know I need freedom. And I'm believing that as I partake of this, I will receive freedom from it. Because Jesus provided that for me on the cross. Or anything else that we talk about, you know, victory in a certain area, uh, uh, the blessing of God, the shalom of God. Whatever it is, that as we partake, it is your act of faith. And at that moment, I want you to say, God, I am receiving. Amen? All right. So we are going to do that this morning. I call our worship team up, please. And uh, our, uh, our, uh, you can remain seated. Our ushers will come. Our greeters will come. They will serve all of us. Uh, Hold on to the elements till everyone is served. It'll just take about a few minutes. And then I want you to pray and say, God, this morning, I want to receive for my life in whichever area. Our, each one of our prayers will be different. But you and I are making a proclamation. Maybe next year, I've been thinking about this next year, we'll go into a little detail on the Passover meal. Because really interesting, uh, if you go into the details of the Passover meal, when the way Jesus celebrated it with his disciples, when he instituted this for us, uh, we'll go into the details of it uh, and, and understand the significance of what actually happened uh, at that night when Jesus instituted this for us. We'll do that uh, probably next year. Hold on to the elements, please. Let everyone is served and then partake together.
Just take a few moments to pray. Uh, just worship with the team right where you are as you're seated. I think upon your sacrifice, you became nothing. Called out to death many times. I've wondered at your gift of life. I'm in that place once again I'm in that place once again Jesus Christ I think upon your sacrifice You became nothing Poured out to death Many times Wonder at your gift of love. I'm in that place once again. I'm in that place once again. Once again, I'll look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again I thank you, once again I pour out my life. Once again I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again I thank once again I pour out my life Now you are exalted to the highest place King of the heavens where one day I'll bow But for now I'll marvel at the saving I'm full of praise once again I'm full of praise once again Once again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside Once again Let's all rise to our feet, please. As we partake of this together, I want you to understand this is your act of faith. This is, we are acting our faith. It's a simple thing. But you're saying, God, I really believe in what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I want to receive Everything Jesus provided for me. Father, this morning we sanctify these earthly elements. Of bread, of wafer, and grape juice. Father, in this place, this morning. As we partake. As we partake of this, God. We do not do it as a ritual. We do not do it just as another thing that we have to do. But Father, this morning we're doing it because we believe in what Jesus did for us on the cross. We believe that He bore our sins so that we have been washed and we are in right standing with God. We believe that He took our sicknesses and our diseases so that by His wounds we have been healed. We believe that He bore our punishment in order to release shalom in our lives. Total well-being. 
We believe that he removed the curse so that the blessing of God might come upon our lives so that we can walk as people who are blessed by God. We believe he conquered Satan. He disarmed principalities and powers so that we could walk in authority and in dominion over every work of the enemy. And Father, we are expecting the power of the cross to invade our worlds. We receive the full blessing of the cross of Christ. So let's say this together. In the name of Jesus, as I partake of these elements, I declare that I receive the full blessings of the cross of Jesus Christ. Every blessing Jesus died to provide is mine. I receive it. My spirit, soul, and body is blessed. My finances are blessed. My family is blessed. My present and my future are blessed. I receive all of His blessings in Jesus' name. The Lord Jesus said, Take heed, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together, please. The Lord Jesus said, This is my blood of the new covenant that is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together, please. Father, even now in this place, let the healing power of God be made manifest. Let miracles take place. Let your power invade our worlds, our lives, even now. Even now. As you're standing here, I just want you to check your body. You exercise your faith. God's power will impact you. I want you to check your body. Just as an act of your faith, check. If, if you've had a healing take place right now, I just want you to raise your hand where you are. If you had a healing take place, and I didn't call out anything specific, but if you had a growth or a tumor that was, that was evident and it's disappeared, you know it's gone or something has happened to you right now, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want to say, at this moment, I see one hand up there. Anyone else? At this moment, something has happened to you. You know that healing has taken place. Just put your hand up. We want to see. I see another hand back up there. Another hand. God bless you. God bless you. That something has happened to you right now. While you took part in the Lord's table, that healing took place in your body. And you're able to check. Anyone else? Anyone else? See, okay, a third hand up. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, let's give God praise. And God, we just thank you. Thank you, oh God. Thank you. And Father, we just pray we'll have more and more of this happening on each time we partake of the Lord's table. That the power of God will invade our worlds. Miracles will happen. And I want to encourage you. You are free to do this by yourself. You're free to do this with your family. You're free to do this in your life group. Or you're free to do this anytime just two of you meet. Jesus never said, you have to have a pastor in your midst. <laughs> he said, you do it as often as you desire. You, as often as you want. There's no restriction. So I want to encourage you. And even as families or as an individual by yourself or, uh, you know, in your life group or a small group, wherever you want, you have the opportunity. Do it. It's not about 
the pastor being there. It's about the Lord Jesus being there. Amen? And it is as powerful when you do it by yourself or, you know, in your life group or two of you or three of you. It's as powerful. You do it by faith and receive. Amen? This is something holy that is made available for all of us. That when you partake of this, you're saying, I'm receiving what you gave me through the cross. I'm receiving what you provided for me through your cross. Simple. Simple. But it's very powerful. Amen? Let me just speak over your lives. Let me close. Father, based on the authority of Jesus' name and based on the authority of the finished work of Christ on the cross, I declare each one of your people blessed, victorious. I declare they are walking in triumph. I declare that every financial need in their life met. I declare open doors for their lives that they can advance and they can do great things for your kingdom. I declare, God, your provision that meets every need in our lives. I declare that as people of God, we will have impact and influence in our world. That we are here on a mission. That we are here to advance your kingdom. We are here as salt and light. That we will have impact. We will have influence. I declare your angels watching over us in all of our ways. That no evil will befall us and no plague will come near our dwelling. That the God of peace crushes Satan underneath our feet. That we are blessed when we come into our homes. We are blessed when we go out. That we are blessed in all the works of our hands. That you make us a blessing every week, everywhere we go. And I declare that these signs follow your people. That in your name we cast out demons. We speak with new tongues. We take up serpents. And if we drink any deadly thing, it does not hurt us. And we lay hands on the sick. And they are healed. This is who we are. Thank you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, TV programs, publications, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, please visit apcwo.org slash Bible College. Please remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the app or Google Play stores.